Jesus made bold claims, and the people of his time were trying to figure out who he really was. His claims left them confused and sometimes angry. Through his powerful I am statements, Jesus invites us to gain a fresh perspective and a deeper understanding of who he truly is. Each statement gradually reveals the divinity and character of Jesus. As we piece them together, we see how knowing him changes everything. We know who he is because he said, I am. Well, it is good to have you here, those of you in the room, and our Skagit campus, those of you online. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot, Brian. Uh, kind of set that bar pretty high. I'm already feeling a little bit like I'm scared that I oversold this last weekend because this morning people are coming in saying, oh, I can't wait. I've been thinking about this all week. You better be good. You better deliver. And I'm like, I, I, maybe I should have downplayed that a little bit. I, I don't want you to walk out of here today and saying, well, that was a real bait and switch way to go. So anyway, regardless, I'm glad that you're here. And uh, for those of you who've been a part of this entire series, you will notice that I have brought my t-shirt out of retirement. This is from the very first week or two. And we started this series back a couple days before the 4th of July, you know, one holiday to the next, from 4th of July to Labor Day. And it started off when we looked at this statement that Jesus made in John chapter 8 when he was talking with the Pharisees. And he made this statement, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, that's more than just bad grammar, and it's more than just some chronological confusion. Because when he says, I am, ego a me, what he's saying is, he's using the name that God gave to Moses when Moses said, who shall I say sent me? And he's using the very name of God. When, when it's in uh, theological circles, it's called the, the tetragrammaton. Grammaton. It's these four letters, yod Hey vav Hey in the Hebrew. It's where we get our word Yahweh. It was the unspeakable name of God. So when Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am, he's actually claiming to be God, which was upsetting, beyond upsetting. They wanted to kill him because of that, because that was blasphemy. And we saw that back in the, in the first week when he said that, and we looked at this whole deal where in Dr. Seuss it says, I am Sam, Sam I am, but Jesus comes and says, I am, I am, I am, I am. So then we began to embark on these I am statements, these ego me statements that are recorded in the Gospel of John. There are seven of them. We've looked at all seven of them. Uh, we looked at the, the fact that he said, I am the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We just sang about that one. I'm the true vine, and last week, I am the resurrection and the life. And we got a little bonus. Uh, Scott, Pastor Scott brought in an I am promise, I am with you always. And today we'll conclude this series with one more I am. And here's my goal for our time together in the next bit. My goal for our time together, for this sermon, for our gathering, is that it would be kind of an anti-Shakespearean experience. Let me explain that. 425 years ago, Shakespeare wrote a comedy, a play, that most of us are more familiar with the title than the actual play. The title of that play, written around 1598, 1599, was Much Ado About Nothing. Now, we know that title because that phrase has made its way into our vernacular when we try to make a big deal about something mountains out of molehills. Today, I want to do the anti-Shakespeare. I want to talk and make much ado about something. In fact, much ado about someone, and more specifically, much ado about I am. 
I want us to look at Jesus. You ask, what am I preaching about this week? Jesus. It's not just a Sunday school answer. It's all about Jesus today. And for those of you who have been around here for a while, let me remind you, and if you're new, let me let you know, one of the irreducible minimal minimums around here, when you strip everything else away, this is one that we will fight tooth and nail. This is one we will not give up on, and that is the centrality of Christ. There's no one else to be worshiped, no one else to be exalted, no one else to be followed except Jesus Christ. We will not waver from that. Everyone else in here is dispensable. Everyone else in here will be replaced eventually, except for Jesus Christ. Our whole purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus because there is no one more beautiful and no more beautiful life than following with Jesus. So that's what we're about today. And I'm telling you, I'm excited and a little bit nervous and feeling somewhat woefully inadequate for this task. So there's going to be a lot of scripture because you can't go wrong with that. In fact, most of the scriptures are listed in the notes. If you pick those up on the way in, they'll be on the screens and we'll go through a lot of those. But because of my feeling of actually of just really feeling like I'm a a beginner splashing around on the surface of the deep end, I just want to say, Jesus, we pray that you would open our eyes to a clearer, greater, more beautiful picture of who you are, all for your glory, that we would be transformed by that. We pray this in your beautiful and wonderful, great name. Amen. So one more I am statement. And as I said, this one does not come out of the gospel of John. It comes out of another book that John wrote, or at least he recorded. He didn't come up with this. Jesus just told him, write down everything you see. And he did, and it's called the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, three times, Jesus gives us this I am statement, this ego ami of who he is. And I'm telling you, on the surface, it looks to be fairly straightforward and quite simple, maybe even a little bit elementary. But the more you dig into it and the more I dug into it, I began to realize I could do an entire series on this I am. I could easily preach four or five weeks. So my task today in the next 30 minutes, 35, for a while, is to pack four or five sermons into a short amount of time. So I might be talking fast, especially as we get to the end. So you ready to listen fast again? I know I kind of sped up at the end last week. So it is good. So I was out of the book of Revelation and find it three different times And this is the I am statement when Jesus says, ego me, I am the alpha and the omega. Now, if you're not familiar with the Bible or church circles and you've never heard this before, it might sound like some kind of a nutritional supplement, uh, something you'd buy on Christian TV stations or whatever. It's not. It has nothing to do with fatty acids and and alfalfa. None none of that at all. What it actually is, these two words, alpha and omega, they're, they're actually words of letters. So in the original Greek text, it looks like this, the alpha and omega, these Greek letters. Now, some of you might be familiar. If you're an electrician, you might remember the ohm symbol that's from omega. And some of you, if you're a part of the Greek system in college, this may be the only thing you remember from college or some of the different Greek letters. And, and, and so it's these two Greek letters. And it's not just random letters out of the Greek alphabet. It's very specific strategic letters Alpha was the first letter in the Greek alphabet, and omega is the last. So if you were to translate the whole concept into English, it would look like this. I'm the A and the Z. And so you say, okay, well, now that's starting to make sense. I get that. Some of you may still be a little foggy, and for our friends to the north, spelled neighbors with a U, it would look like this. A to Z. A 
All right, so now that we're all clear, so I wanted to have some Canadian translation for all of our friends to be able to be on board with this if you're from Canada or something like that. So now we all know that. Now in these, these I am statements, it's incredible because it's not just this phrase, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He expands more, and if you went into the context, which we will not, this is why it could be an entire series, you begin to see the magnitude of what he's saying. But let's go back to this first one in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, I am, ego me, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, Jesus puts this into kind of the the tense form for us, present, past, and future, which is important for us because we live in the time-space continuum. We don't understand. Jesus didn't need that. Jesus transcends time. He is eternal, but I don't think we can even grasp eternity. I don't know if you've ever sat down and just really tried to think through eternity. Okay, well, but what was before that? And but what was before that? And what, well, what was before? And, and what will happen after that? And, and what about that? And, 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 and it just like we, we can't because we are so linear in our start to finish thing. We can't understand eternity. Jesus does this for our sake. He doesn't do it for his sake. His eternal nature is beyond our capacity to understand. And aren't you glad that we have a God that's bigger than our three and a half to four pounds of gray matter can actually comprehend? That God transcends and exceeds our capacity. He is far greater than all that. So when he says that, who is and who was and who is to come, and I know this is really poor English again, this double negative, what he's saying is that he never wasn't and he never won't be. He just always was and he always will be. And this is beautiful. Now I said that, that he uses this, this, I am the Alpha and the Omega three times in Revelation. The first time he uses it is in Revelation chapter one at the beginning of Revelation. The last time he uses it is Revelation chapter 22 at the end of Revelation. That Jesus is awfully clever. That just like, ah, uh, yeah, see what you did there. So in Revelation chapter 22, he says this again, verse 13, ego me, I am the alpha and the omega. And then he just reiterates from two different angles to make sure you understand. He says, you know, the first and the last, you know, the beginning and the end. To understand that, it's the first letter, it's the last letter, the first last, the beginning and the end. And I think when you begin to see this, you begin to think, okay, well, I get that. You know it's not just that he's two letters. The whole concept is that of, of completion, the fulfillment, that he is not just A and Z. He's all the tiles in the Scrabble box. He's everything in between. He is the completion of it. Uh, think about it this way. If you've ever seen the um, Amazon logo, and if not, go home, there might be one on your front porch. But the Amazon logo has the, the, the name Amazon, and then there's this smile. And the smile starts at the A and ends at the Z. It's their whole concept that from A to Z, there's this endless possibilities that we offer to you. So when Jesus comes along and he says, I'm the A to the Z, I'm the A to the Z, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, it's not just endless smiles from packages left on your front porch. It's endless goodness, endless wonder because he is Jesus and he is God. He is complete. But there is this first and last piece. And there's something about being first. We want first, right? I mean, who wants to sit in first class? That'd be me. I, I don't, but I'd love to. 
I'd love to be first place. If you're in an orchestra, you'd like to be first chair. You know, if you're in the draft, you'd like to go in the first round. You'd love to be the first pick of the first round. There's something about being first. You know, the Apple uh, Corporation, all of their employees have employee numbers, and their employee number is on their badge. And the employee who had employee number one was a guy named um, Steve Wozniak. And the guy who had employee number two was a guy named Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs didn't want to be number two. And a lot of conversations, a lot of discussions, there was an unwillingness to swap numbers and rearrange them. So when Steve Jobs rose in power, he appointed himself a new, a new employee number, and on his badge was the number zero. Which is a sermon in and of itself. You want to be number one, you're going to end up nothing. But that's a different sermon. He wanted to be first. Jesus comes along and says, I am the first. There is no one before me. There is no zero before me. There's no one else. I am first. And I am last. That I get the last word. I get to tell how the story ends. I get the last at bat. I get the last possession. I get to finish the thing out. I get one more shot. I am the completion of it all. So what I want us to do in the next 23 to 25 minutes is I want us to look at some different angles of what it means for Jesus to be the Alpha and the Omega from three, maybe four different perspectives. And I really, like I said, I'm going to have to talk very fast. So let's get going on this one. That Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. The Alpha and Omega, when it comes to rank, like when it comes to status or a standing, a, a position or a grade, that he is the Alpha above all the rest. If you've ever watched National Geographic specials or Smithsonian's, when it talks about the animal world, in, in subspecies where, especially when they're socialized, uh, primates, gorillas, wolves, these kind of things, they will talk about the alpha male, you know, the, the silverback gorilla, the alpha male. And, and he has a status amongst the others. He has a rank above. I mean, honestly, even chickens do this. The, the whole idea of a pecking order, there's an actual thing. There's an, an alpha chicken, chicken in the hen house or whatever. There's this thing. But it's this rank and this, this order of things, of the status and the standing. And besides just these subgroups and these, these uh, pack of wolves or this group of primates, in the entire animal kingdom, there's status and ranking. There's the food chain. You know, and there, there's different ones that, that are lower on that. And you know, the king of the jungle, it's, uh, no, there's you know, no threats from the animal kingdom. He's at the top of the charts. And then in the animal kingdom, beyond that, there's a rank and order. And God created humankind in his image. He created us in his image, it says in, in, in uh, Genesis, so that mankind might rule over, have dominion over, to lead, to manage rule over and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the livestock and all the wild animals and all the creatures that move along the ground, that, that man is above the animal kingdom. But, but, at the same time, mankind is not at the pinnacle. It's not at the peak. Because in, in uh, Psalm chapter 8, when it talks about man, it says, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, yet you made him a little lower than the angels. So there are the angels. And in early church history, there was this idea of the ranking of angels. And we don't go into a bunch of that, but there were, they had these ranks of angels and archangels and powers and principalities and seraphim and cherubim and all this ranking. 
And over all of this, over the animal kingdom, over humanity, over the angels, there is one that is, that is the alpha in rank above them all. In Hebrews chapter one, when it talks about Jesus being the, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, it goes on and it says, he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son today, I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn, hold that word, when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Jesus is alpha in rank, in status, in standing, not because he beats his chest and because he picks on the younger and smaller ones. It's because of who he is. And when the scripture says firstborn, and I alluded to this last week, Whenever scripture talks about Jesus being firstborn, it's not order in a linear progression of a chronological, like there's one and two and three. Firstborn is a title of authority, a, t- a, titer, a title of supremacy that he is above. So whatever title there might be, he is above that. There are kings, but Jesus is the king of kings. There are lords, but Jesus is the Lord of lords. There are priests, and there was a high priest, but Jesus is the great high priest. He's alpha above them. There were cornerstones, but he's the chief cornerstone. There were shepherds, but he is the the great shepherd. No matter what title you can come up with, Jesus is over that in status, in standing, in rank. There were prophets, Jesus is over them. There are pastors, Jesus is over them. Teachers, healers, Jesus is over them. You know, there's a word that's used today in a positive way. It used to be a, a kind of a negative, kind of a put down. It's the word goat. That used to be a slam. That used to be a kind of a negative thing. Oh, I felt like such a goat. Now, it's an acronym. Greatest of all times. Now, it's a great thing to be a goat. And if you'll give me some grace, and hopefully Jesus is okay with this, He is the goat of goats of all the greatest of all times. He's even greater. He's about, as the kids say these days, he's the OG. He is the only God. Jesus, it says in in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Philippians chapter two, it says, Jesus being in very nature, God, not just God-like, not just godly in his very essence. He's God. There is no one before him. There is no one greater than him. There is no one higher than him. He is alpha in rank. And in a counterintuitive, profoundly beautiful way, this alpha that there's no one higher, no one greater, chooses to condescend to become the omega, the lowest the last, the least. Growing up in church, there was a song that was often sung, not congregationally, but usually a special music, and usually someone with a big operatic voice. But the, the song started off, down from his glory, ever living story. My God and Savior came, and Jesus was his name. And in the course Oh, how I love him, how I adore him. My breath, my sunshine, my all in all. The great creator became my savior. 
in all his fullness dwelleth. Any of you remember that song? The whole song is about this condescension that, that the greatness of God would come down to the curse of the cross. That even while he was in very nature God, it says in Philippians chapter two, being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to grasp, but made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The greatness of God decides to leave this status of being the alpha over all things to become a created human and goes lower to become a servant and goes lower to become crucified and goes lower to be a corpse. But he goes one step lower to being one of the lowest of all the creatures. Some of you are aware that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he quoted the opening lines of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't just cherry-picking a verse that fit his circumstance. Psalm 22 is a prophetic psalm, the unbelievable accuracy of pointing to the crucifixion of Jesus a thousand years before. Read Psalm 22 with the crucifixion in mind. So when he says, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? He's not just throwing a question out there. He's not just quoting a scripture. He's referencing the entirety of Psalm 22. And while he may have not had the breath to utter it, there's no question that it was going through his mind. In Psalm 22, there's another I am statement. Psalm 22, verse 6 but ego a me, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. Not just humility, humiliation, shame. In Isaiah 53, where it talks about the suffering Savior, we see this picture. He was despised, talking about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jerry Hawthorne in his commentary on the book of Philippians talks about that passage in Philippians 2 that we just looked at. He says, you know, when, when we read that, being in very nature God made himself nothing, we approach it this way. That yes, Jesus was God, Despite the fact that he was God, he chose to make himself nothing. Hawthorne says, no, 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 no. It's precisely because he was God in his greatness, in his love, in his grace, in his mercy, precisely because he's the alpha, he chooses to be the omega. Becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. And remember, the omega gets the last word, right? gets to end the story, gets to finalize the whole thing. Because he was obedient to death, even death on a cross, it says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
You see that rank? He's the alpha. He chooses to be the omega, and God exalts him to be the alpha. A to Z, eh? It's back up on top. Okay, we gotta, we gotta keep going. All right, another one. He's the alpha and omega of creation. He is the alpha and omega of creation, of the cosmos, of the universe, of the world, of all things that exist. Everything that exists had a starting point. So where does that start? You say, well, the Big Bang, great. But where did the big gas bubble come from? What was before that? Where did that, this whole idea of ex nihilo, that it's out of nothing, out of nothing comes something? How does that work? I mean, even scientists who don't believe in Jesus would say there must have been a prime mover. There must have been a first cause. And the word of God gives us a picture of that in John chapter one, verse three, where it says this, that for all, by him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. That he is the one who made it all. We see that he's the alpha of creation. In Isaiah, you see these three I am statements. Isaiah 48, verse 12, he says, I am he, I am the first, and I am the last. My hand laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. Oh, don't get me started too late, let's go. (laughs) When you talk about this world that our God has created, Are you kidding me? In Isaiah 40, it says, he marks out the heavens with the span of his hands. Here we are on this little blue planet called Earth. We're a part of a solar system. Our sun, 93 million miles away, is considered a small star. And our little solar system revolving around this little sun is a part of the Milky Way galaxy, this spiral galaxy. The spiral galaxy that astrophysicists estimate has between 100 and 400 billion stars like our sun and bigger. And if you were to travel from corner to corner on our, from side to side on our galaxy, from one end to the other, at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, it would take you 100,000 years just to go across the Milky Way. And the Milky Way is just one of many, many galaxies and clusters of galaxies and superclusters of galaxies and all these galaxies that go on and on, estimated at 200 billion galaxies like ours out there. And all of that, and God says, oh yeah, I laid that out with my hand and I measured off with the span of my hand. You know, sometimes people say, well, Bob, don't you think with all that it would be wasted if there wasn't more human life out there? Yeah, maybe, and maybe not. Maybe it's just about God's glory because the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech and night after night, they display knowledge. What if God says, yeah, I just did it because I want you to see how big I am. Get your big old telescope. Get your James Webb out there. You're just going to keep finding out more me, more me, more me, and it's just going to show my glory. Why not? That's the God we see here. This God, the alpha of creation, that he is the one that is over it all. He is the one. Colossians chapter 1 says that, it's for, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and through him. He is before all things and in him, watch this one, in him all things hold together. Do you know why our world is so finely tuned, that there's so much order that there's so much precision. Do you know why we can estimate to the second when the sun will rise and set? 
that we can estimate the tides that come and go, the seasons, when the solstice is, when the equinox is. Why? Because we have this beautiful designer who holds it all together. In Isaiah, we read these words. Uh, to whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. He's not only the alpha and the creator, he is the sustainer. Oh, and he is the omega. Now, it's been estimated that our sun, we're dependent on in our solar system, that our sun is in midlife, like me. <laughs> that our, the, the estimation is that our sun has been burning for about five billion years, and the guess is that it will burn for about another five billion years, and then it will kind of be out. And at that point, the estimation is that our sun will become a red giant, expanding and then sucking in and you know, incinerating all the planets around which have been orbiting for all these years. And maybe so. When you think about the end of the world, you think, when I was growing up, there was a group, um, David Gates and Bread. This was date music. Put that eight track in, good tunes. There was a song, very, very cheesy song, but oh, it worked on a date. It's called If. Very cheesy. If a picture paints a thousand words, then why can't I paint you? The words would never show the you I've come to know. Oh, it's so, so cheesy. Well, you get to the last verse, and it's this dark, morbid, romantic, into the world verse. Let me read these lyrics to you. If the world should stop revolving, spinning slowly down to die, I'd spend the end with you. And when the world was through, then one by one, the stars would all go out, and you and I would simply fly away. Uh, so cheesy. I can't, wait, 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 wait. Come on now. If the world is slowly spinning down to die and stars are going out, you're not going to hold hands and fly off into the universe. It's going to be a disaster. And is that just because it runs out of time? Look at this one out of Hebrews chapter one. He also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. That's alpha, the heavens and the works of your hands. They will perish, that's the omega, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You, you will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same and your years will never end. He's the alpha of creation. He's the omega of creation. And when he creates a new heaven and earth, he is the alpha of that as well. Okay. Um, and it's not just creation. It's you as well. That he is the alpha and omega of your creation. In Psalm 139 says, for you, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your life before one of them came to be. 
So you're not an accident. God saw you when you were conceived, when you were formed in your mother's womb, and already had all the days of your life ordained. The Alpha and Omega of creation. Let's move on. The Alpha and Omega for salvation. Now, this is where I've really got to start speeding up. Uh, the Alpha and Omega for salvation. And I hope that this goes without saying, but I, I just think we need to repeat this. That salvation is first, last, always, only about Jesus. That, that he is the initiator and the implementer of salvation. It was his love. He first loved us. It was him who came to seek and save the lost, not the other way around. It was him reconciling us to himself, even though we were the perpetrators. It's about him making the initiative. He's initiating this salvation deal. And the implementer, it's not for anything we've done or said. It's not like, well, there's this distant deity out there. Somehow we got to get his attention and do some sacrifices and and, and jump through some hoops so maybe we can win his good grace. None of that at all. It's him seeing our, our plight, and he says, then I'm going to go and fix this thing. From Genesis chapter 3, when the fall first happens, God already has his plan in mind of how he's going to fix us with salvation. And all through the Old Testament, I point this out all the time, it's all foreshadowing, pointing to all this is going to be fulfilled in Jesus someday. It's all going to happen. And before Jesus is born, the angel comes to Joseph and says, this is what you're going to name your son, not Joseph Jr. You're going to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And when Jesus sees his cousin, probably for the first time as adults, maybe they'd grown up together, John the Baptist in John chapter one, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus started all of this. And when he hangs on the cross, he says these words, it is finished. He's the Omega. It's done. The final sacrifice, again in Hebrews chapter nine, now he has appeared once for all, at the end of all the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself, the final sacrifice. Listen, here's the case. If you ever have any forgiveness in your life from from God, if you have salvation, if there's been any propitiation, that's a fancy word for your sins, if you have any justification in your life, any sanctification in your life, and someday any glorification, it's only because of one person and it's not you. It's Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one. In Acts chapter four, it says this, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It's only Jesus. And this might be offensive to some of you, but this is the beauty of Jesus. It's not under the name of Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius or L. Ron Hubbard or Joseph Smith or Oprah or Deepak Chopra. It's only Jesus. He's the Alpha and Omega of our salvation. There's only one name. And it's not just salvation in general. It's your salvation. In Ephesians chapter one, it says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Do you know what that means? The alpha of creation before he started speaking worlds into existence had you on his mind. The alpha of salvation while he was hanging on the cross for the joy set before him was you. The alpha who came back from the dead had you on his mind. 
And it's his spirit that has quickened yours. It's his love that has drawn you. It's his blood that has redeemed you. It's his spirit that transformed you. It's all about Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on the author and perfecter, alpha and omega, beginning and end. Philippians 1.6 says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, the alpha and the omega of our salvation. Okay, okay, real quick, because you got one more blank. Got to get that filled in. Alpha and omega. And I'm just going to fly through this one. It is this infinite totality. And this is, again, this is kind of the catch-all. Because Jesus is so much bigger, so greater, so much more than we could ever even comprehend. That verse in Isaiah where he says, my ways are not like your ways and your thoughts are not like my thoughts. For high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above yours and my ways above yours. See, with Jesus, this infinite totality one, that he is infinite, which means that he cannot, does not have the capacity to diminish or increase. Follow this. We get the diminished side. Okay, yeah, he, he won't get less powerful than he already was. He won't get less wise. He doesn't have the capacity to increase. He can't get more powerful than he already is. He can't get more wise. He can't get more loving. He can't get more graceful. Because if he could increase, that would mean that he is lesser than now. He just is. It's beyond our comprehension. Let me, let me just quick fire read through these. Romans eleven thirty six, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. In 1 Kings 8, 27, the heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain him. Psalm 90, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 145, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. Let me tell you, when we've been there 10,000 years, Bright, shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Now, this is the part that I'm excited and nervous about. Because I want to end with a bit of a righteous rant. Some of you are familiar with Psalm 119, longest psalm in the Bible. It's all about the word of God. And there are these sections. There are eight verses each long. And every section is represented by one of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It's kind of a, is that acrostic or, is that acrostic? Whatever. And I started thinking, if Jesus is the A to Z, could we do that for him? It was an idea that I had in April. And so starting in May, I just started writing down names, titles, attributes, of Jesus. And I want to give to you Jesus A to Z. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the Almighty. He is the authority. He is the answer. He is the anointed one. He is our advocate and He is the atonement for our sins. He's the beginning and the end. He's the bright and morning star. He is the benevolent big brother and the beneficent one. He is the bread of life. He is the blessed redeemer. He is the beautiful bridegroom. He is the creator. He is the called one. He is the chosen one. He is the Christ. He is the chief shepherd. He is the cornerstone. 
He is our constant companion, comforter, counselor, and he is the conqueror of our sins. He is the divine deliverer. He is the devil defeater. He is the death destroyer. And on top of that, he is the, the dispeller of darkness and the defender of the weak. He's the day star. He is the eternal, everlasting father, Elohim, El Shaddai, El Elyon. He's everything. He's faithful and true, father to the fatherless, friend to the sinner, first and last, firstborn over all creation, firstborn from amongst the dead. He's the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He's the final sacrifice. He is our fierce and fearless leader. He is God. He is good. He is great. He's the goat. He's the gate. He is the grave robber. He is the glorious, gracious, generous, gentle shepherd. He's the holy one. He's the humble one. He is high and lifted up. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the helper and the healer of the human heart. He is the high priest, heaven's hero and hell's horror. He's honored above them all. He is the infinite, incarnate Emmanuel. He is immortal, invincible, ineffable, in in inscrutable, inconceivable. He is the image of the invisible God. He is I am. He is Jehovah. He is Jireh. He is Jesus. He is just and he is judge. He's the king, the king of kings, the king of the Jews, the king of glory and the king eternal. And he is kindness. He is the Lord of lords, the Lord of light, the Lord of love. He's the light of the world. He's the lily of the valley. He's the larger than life, lion of Judah. And he is the lowly lamb who was slain. Yet he's the living one and the lover of my soul. He is Messiah. He is mighty God. He's the man of sorrows. But the miracle worker, our mediator, he is the majestic, magnificent, marvelous, merciful master. He's the name above all names. He's the Nazarene. He's the new covenant. He's the North Star. He's the never-ending one. He is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He is one with the Father, only begotten, overcomer. He's the prince of peace. He's the promise keeper. He is the perfect providential provider and he is the propitiation for our sins. He is the quickening spirit. He is the quieting presence. He is the quencher of our deepest thirst and he is the quintessential one. He is the rock of our salvation. He is the rose of Sharon. He is the righteous reigning ruler. He is the risen one, the resurrection. He is the reconciler. He is the reclaimer, the restorer, the redeemer. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the sovereign savior, the suffering servant, the sufficient sacrifice, and the supreme sustainer. He's the son of God, the son of man, and the son of David. He's the sinless one. He is timeless, he is truth, he's a teacher, he's a trusted friend. He is triumphant over the tomb, and he is transcendent over time. Where are we, you? He is uncreated, he is unblemished. He is unchanging. He is unlimited. He is unequal. He is unmatched. He is unrivaled. He is un, un, unfathomable. He is unfailing. And, and there was one more. Unbelievable. We'll go with that one. He's the vine. He's the valiant, victorious vindicator and the vanquisher of all evil. He is the virtuous one. He is the word of God. He's the way to God. He's the will of God. He is the wise and the wonderful counselor. He is the warrior worthy of our worship. X. <laughs> X is the Greek letter chi, which is the first letter of 
Christos. He's the Christ. But he's the X factor of the living and the dead, the X factor of heaven and hell. He's the X factor of time and eternity. He is Yahweh. He is Yeshua. He is yes and amen. His yoke is easy. He is yesterday's forgiver. He is your Lord. And shall I say, Yabadabadoo. Zeal for his father's house consumes him. He is the zenith of the cosmos. And he is Zion's champion. A to Z, he is complete. Jesus Christ is all you need. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.